The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Princess Cruises, Majestic Princess today. Staff writer Richard Sims is also here with Cruise News, and Matt Hotchberg from Royal Caribbean Blog answers one of your listener questions. Jumping right to Richard with Cruise News. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. So the verdict is in. This isn't particularly surprising and not shocking news. When you crash your cruise ship into a smaller boat, you are going to be made to pay for it. As it turns out, the High Court of England has ordered MSC Cruises to pay Uniworld about $2.7 million. And this is all because of that accident that happened in Venice back in June of 2019. You'll remember this because the video was everywhere. You know, the MSC opera was coming into the Venice port and... And they had some issues and they couldn't slow down and they couldn't stop. And they rammed into the River Countess, which was a Uniworld ship. So Uniworld ended up, you know, the ship had some damage and they had to cancel about 14 sailings. And it all eventually went to an investigation, which proved that the navigation officers on the MSC ship were basically responsible. They and the captain wound up being fined at the time. Fortunately, most of the passengers who had been on the River Countess had gone ashore already, so there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, um, a huge amount of damage, and there was no real serious injuries involved. But ultimately, you know, it was MSC's fault; they were responsible, so now they gotta pay up. The other interesting thing about this is the accident at the time sort of kicked into high gear a debate that's been going on in Venice for a long time about cruise ships and, you know, how, how, whether they should be allowed into the port and how many tourists are coming into Venice. And it's become, it's, it's remained a really hot issue ever since, honestly. And this did not help at all for where the cruise lines were concerned. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it's safe to say that this one, I guess we'll call it incident wasn't the reason why cruise ships can't go into big cruise ships can't go into Venice and the, the lagoon right now, but it definitely didn't help the case that they've been pushing for for the past decade. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, you're right. It's not the sole reason, but it's certainly a contributing factor. Yeah. And speaking of MSC, they are ready to welcome more guests come early November. Yeah, this is a kind of good news, not only for MSC, but for the cruise lines as a whole. As of November 8th, the U.S. government has sort of lifted the ban on international travelers as long as they are fully vaccinated. And, you know, the reason we sort of focus on MSC here is they actually sort of cater to a largely European audience. They're obviously trying to push more into the American market. They have three ships right now sailing out of Florida, so they definitely, definitely want a U.S. share of the 
cruise population, but they also know that they cater to a lot of European visitors. So as of November 8th, they will be able to welcome people back on board. Like with the other ships, they are requiring that people be fully vaccinated two weeks before they board, you know, and they'll be having all the same health and safety protocols that all the other lines are. But, you know, more good news. It's more money coming into the cruise industry. And um, as I said, it won't just impact MSC. It will impact, you know, all of the cruise lines because they'll all be able to uh, accept international travelers should they decide to. And that is obviously more money in the kitty. Yes, on November 8th, the travel ban lifts and November 20th, MSC Seashore will debut for the very first time out of Port Miami. So an exciting month for MSC and well, all the cruise lines, I guess, and uh, considering the international travel ban. Uh, It looks like Celebrity Cruises is making big moves in 2023. Yeah, Celebrity is moving all of their Edge class ships over to Europe. This is Celebrity Edge, Celebrity Apex, and the upcoming Celebrity Beyond. I'll admit I'm a little annoyed by this because I really want one of those ships to like come to New York and spend some time here because I'd love to do one of the Edge class ships. But they are going all in where Europe is concerned. They're also going to have the Silhouette, the Constellation, the Infinity, and the Reflection all sailing out of European ports. They'll be doing anywhere from four nights to 13 night sailings. It's also worth noting, since we're talking about celebrity in general and celebrity beyond in, in particular, that Captain Kate, who is probably the most recognizable captain these days. I mean, I think the last captain as recognizable as her was Captain Steubing on the love boat, and he wasn't even a real captain. But Captain Kate is going to be transferring over and taking over the beyond when she launches, which is exciting. And the other thing that's kind of exciting about Beyond, well, I don't want to say that I make, you know, cruise ships all about the bars they have on board, but Celebrity Beyond is going to have a two-level sunset bar. And, you know, I I believe the sunset bar was like one of your favorite places on board the, the last Celebrity ship you were on, wasn't it? Yeah, Celebrity uh, Edge on the right there in the back. It's like deck sixteen or something like that. Seventeen overlooking the back. I think I like the the aft bar though on all the cruise ships. Like I like the aft pools on Carnival. Princess has the Wakeview bar back there. Uh, you can't go wrong with an aft bar. No, and a two level aft bar mm-hmm. even better. Absolutely. So Royal Caribbean announced some news on Wednesday that uh, they've never done before. This is kind of crazy. So, you know, we, we're, we're always reporting about world cruises, you know, go on a ship for 100 days, go on a ship for 110 days. Well, forget all of that. You know, Royal Caribbean is known for having the biggest ships in the world. So, of course, they're now going to roll out the biggest, you know, world cruise ever. It's a two 174 night cruise. Now, I don't know why they just don't go full hog and say, ah, 356 days. We're just going to do a full year at sea. But it's a 274 night trip. It's going to be sailing out of Miami on December 10th, 2023. They're calling it the longest and most comprehensive cruise available. You can book it starting now if you happen to be a Crown and Anchor Diamond Status member, but everybody else can start booking it on October 26th. So, you know, break into your piggy bank, figure out how much it's going to cost. And if you're asking how much you need to save, well, if you want to do the entire trip, and you can either do the entire 274 days or it's broken up into four different segments and you can join at any one of those four segments. But to do the entire thing, it's going to cost you $61,000 per person. That's the starting price. So, um, Doug, this is where I'm going to have to ask you for a little bit of a raise or a loan <laughs> of you know, about $120,000. How do you feel about that? 
Let me get back to you. So during the shutdown, I'm going to kind of gloss over that, okay? So during the shutdown, uh, Carnival Cruise Line, they sold off four of their Fantasy-class ships. So there was Carnival Imagination, Carnival Inspiration, Carnival Fantasy, and finally Carnival Fascination. Three of them are already scrapped, and pretty much there's nothing left of them, and there's about to be a fourth. Yeah, sadly, Carnival Fascination will no longer be with us soon. We're hearing that the ship, which, okay, so originally Carnival sold the ship to Century Harmony Cruises Limited, which is a Chinese cruise operator. They eventually changed the name of the ship from Carnival Fascination to Century Harmony, and they started staffing up, and they were, you know, going to throw this into the Chinese cruise market, but something apparently went wrong along the line because they have now sold it for scrap, and it appears that the ship, which, again, was formerly the Carnival Fascination, is headed to India, and if you know anything about the cruise ship industry, you know that when an old ship heads to India, nothing good ever comes of it so it will be scrapped and become you know yet another part of history and in fact i guess that means that the entire class of ships is now history wasn't that actually based in your neck of the woods at one point yeah fascination was here when carnival celebration left so in 2007 fascination took its spot and it was here until Maybe 10 years till 2017, probably. And then Carnival Elation came in. So, yeah, we had a good 10 year run with Fascination. Yeah, it was a good ship. I mean, and that was a good class of ship. I loved that class of ship, but they are no more. The good news is we'll get sort of a namesake for Celebration, which replaced it because, you know, that's the next ship they're rolling out is the Carnival Celebration. So, you know, one thing dies, another thing is reborn in its place. Really? Is that how it works? That's how you're justifying this? Okay. Yeah, that's how I'm justifying it. That's all I got. (laughs) On that note, I'll say we've been talking with staff writer Richard Sims. Richard, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Always glad to be here. Today's listener question is a Royal Caribbean question, so we have tapped Matt Hutchberg from the RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com to tackle this question. It comes from Dennis. He says, our upcoming cruise on the Oasis of the Seas, we have the ultimate dining package. The question I have is, with the a la carte restaurants, the terms say we get a $20 credit to the restaurants. Is that per cruise, meaning I can only visit once on my cruise, or is it per day? meaning I can eat there every day, or is it per visit, meaning I can eat there for lunch and dinner? Hey, Doug, so the good news is if you have the ultimate dining package, you can actually eat at the a la carte restaurants as many times as you want. As the name infers, it is unlimited, actually, and you can go to places like Playmakers and Portside Barbecue as many times as you want. Each time you go there, you get that $20 stipend to be able to use, but you could go there for lunch and dinner on the same day. Heck, you could go there for dinner at 5 o'clock, come back again at 8 o'clock or an hour later, whenever, and be able to use that stipend as many times as you want. So it is not per cruise or per person. It is simply an unlimited option for you. But every time you sit down at the restaurant to dine, you get that $20 stipend. So you're good to go. Hope this helps. And Doug, thanks for having me on here again and have a great week. You too, bud. You can find the answer to any question you have about Royal Caribbean at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Coming up, a review of Majestic Princess. Have a question for the experts or would you like to talk about your cruise or vacation experience? Good or bad? Email comments at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. 
How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. You have questions. We have answers. Get the whole story on cruiseradio.net. Today, we reverse the roles. I just returned from a three-night cruise aboard Princess Cruises, Majestic Princess from L.A. Kristen Ladwig, listener for the past decade or so, has graciously offered to interview me about the sailing so you don't have to hear me talk for 30 minutes about the ship. Kristen, welcome to the show, and thanks in advance for doing this. Sure, Doug. It's been a long time since we've had the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. So I'm going to hand the control room over to you and take it away. All right. Well, let's start, first of all, with your pre-cruise thoughts. Why did you choose to sail on Majestic Princess and this particular California coastal itinerary? So there's a couple of reasons here. One, I saw the rate, and it was $249. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I had the airline miles because of the pandemic and didn't travel a whole lot, um, aside from skiing out in Utah. So I had a ton of miles built up. And then also Ocean Medallion. So it was like, you know, first announced in 2017, I believe, by Arnold Donald. But I never had a chance to actually see it in action. So I think this would be a good time to actually check it out and see what it's like and see how Ocean Medallion kind of coincides with the new health and safety protocols and how it's actually being utilized. So, yeah, just a couple of thoughts there. Okay. Well, we'll definitely want to get into some more detail about Ocean Medallion for sure. Um, But let's start, first of all, with... um, your embarkation. So I stayed at the Crown Plaza the night before, right there at the, um, I think it's called Crown Plaza Harbor, right there Mm -hmm. by the Maritime Museum. So it's right next to the World Cruise Center. You can really walk if you wanted to, if you didn't have a ton of bags. It was pretty seamless. Because I booked my cruise, it was a last minute thing. So it was like, you might know more than me, but I booked it less than two weeks out. So I had to pick up my medallion at check-in. They didn't actually mail it to me. Is there a threshold there for getting it mailed? I'm not exactly sure how how far out it is that um, they'll they'll cut it off if you know to mail it in advance versus mm-hmm. you have to pick it up. But two weeks seems about right, yeah. especially given mail delays these days. So, you know, I got to the pier and I kind of went through all the checkpoints. I went through security, and then I went through showing them my vaccination card and also the negative test result. I did the at-home antigen test that is proctored by someone on the other end of the line watching you. So he handed me my medallion, which was on a lanyard. I later customized it to a watch band, and then I was on the ship. How long would you say it took? Probably seven minutes from the curb to the ship. The security line took the longest. That's impressive. I will say I was one of the first people on the ship, and also it was sailing at 40% capacity, so you'd have to factor that in. Yeah, I was going to ask you what uh, what the passenger count was. Yeah, it was about the same amount of passengers as crew on board. So it was like a one-to-one ratio, which actually was kind of cool to experience. That's nice. That's yeah. very nice. All right. Well, this was this was your first time sailing Majestic Princess, although not your first time sailing on a Royal-class ship. So what were your first impressions of Majestic? Yeah, it had a familiar feel because I've done all the Royal-class ships. So Royal, Regal, and Sky. Obviously, I couldn't do this one. My last one was Sky, which was December of 2019. I think that was the one that I met up with you and Scott at the airport where you got me that ship model. Yes, that's right. 
But yeah, it had the same atrium feel and everything with the three levels there. Big welcome home banners uh, kind of drawn across there. And uh, yeah, it was not only a homecoming for myself, but also the crew members, because uh, you could just see, you know, the smile in their eyes, too, as you crossed the gangway. I'm sure they were very ecstatic to have uh, paying passengers finally mm-hmm. on board. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, what kind of stateroom did you have on Majestic Princess? So it's a balcony stateroom. I, I believe they call it a mini suite. But I mean, to me, it was just basically a 199 square foot balcony stateroom with a a decent sized balcony. Of course, my my balcony test is if I can actually put my chair against the wall uh, mm-hmm. where the door is and stretch my feet all the way out. Not so much here, so don't let the word mini suite fool you. However, there was a lot of space in the actual cabin itself. It was about 190 square feet, and of course, Princess always has plenty of storage with that walk-in closet, so I did enjoy that. One odd thing was there were two USB ports on one side of the bed, but not on the other side of the bed. And um, there was just the plugs on the vanity. So weird placement for the USB ports. But I mean, you know, if that's what all I have to complain about in a stateroom, I'm fine with that. Right. With regard to the difference between a balcony and a mini suite, they're, they're, uh, about the, the size of the actual exterior balcony isn't necessarily any different. It's really mm-hmm. more the interior of the cabin and gotcha. the mini suite will add in the sofa mm-hmm. that you would typically, you would not have with a regular balcony stateroom. So that's kind of where your extra, some of your extra space comes into play. Well, there you go. Noted. All right. Well, let's talk about the all important um, aspect here of, uh, of cruise ship life and that is dining. So let's start. First of all, um, did you do any meals to have any meals in uh, any of the main dining rooms? Because it was a short cruise and I wanted to experience everything on board, I only did one meal in the main dining room, and that was in the concerto dining room, and that was debarkation breakfast. But the service was great, um, very clean, uh, plenty of selection on the menu. You might know the answer to this, Kristen. There was a big, like, uh, this beautiful table in the back, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Yes, that's that's where the that's where the chef's table experience ah, okay. would happen mm-hmm. it's yeah. in that round circular mm-hmm. it's a cer- round round you know circular yeah. area uh, with sheets you know the the lighting the shimmery mm-hmm. the shimmery stuff that you were seeing yeah that's that's where they do the chef's table did you dine at all in the buffet i did an embarkation day lunch there as well as a lot of grazing on the cruise and it was weird because you know how on princess the i think it's called the world marketplace or world fresh market um mm-hmm. They have the center section, which is the bakery, which I absolutely love. You can get the coffee in there and you can, you know, 360 of desserts. Well, that was actually not open or in operation, except the coffee machine was working in there for the servers who were getting orders. But uh, that was kind of empty. And only half the buffet was open. So you enter the buffet um, right off the pool on deck 16. That first part you enter was completely shut down. And then after you pass the bakery... Um, it kind of mirrors the front part of the buffet, like most cruise ship buffets do. And that was open. Every single you know section was open there. And they were serving you. There were grab-and-go sections. So if you wanted to um, grab a bowl of fruit, it was pre-plated already. So all you had to do was just grab, you know, grab the plate or the bowl of fruit and kind of go on your way. But otherwise, they were serving you like you know, the turkey, the roast beef, the fish, all of that. Yeah, I was I was assuming that some of the changes due to COVID protocols might be most noticeable in the buffet. And that seems like that was your experience. Yeah. And also, yeah, for sure. And also there was a, uh, a crew member stationed at every entrance of the, the buffet area. 
and they made you wash your hands, which is fine with me. But even if you weren't going to the buffet, like say I wanted to walk from the pool, go back to the aft bar, um, mm-hmm. they made me at least sanitize my hands, I guess, because, you know, temptation could get you halfway through and you might want to grab something or ask for something. So they want to make sure. sure that you're, you know, clean going in there. Right, right. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now there are there are several um, complimentary alternative dining venues on this ship, as well as some specialty restaurants for for a cover charge. Did what what did you uh, what did you enjoy of any of those venues? So I'll start with the first night. Uh, that was Crown Grill, by far my favorite steakhouse at sea. Um, did the twenty two ounce porterhouse, twenty nine dollars. Booked it before the cruise. I also did the ten dollar lobster add on. So paid the ten dollars. Uh, or paid at $29 before the cruise and then um, paid the $10 surcharge there. And it was a great meal. I mean, we were in and out in less than an hour. It was, we could have been longer if we wanted to. I did skip dessert just because um, I, you know, I, I like steak and 22 ounces <laughs> is a lot of steak. So you can't go wrong. $29, you had your onion soup, you had an appetizer. I think I had a salad and also the 22 ounce porterhouse. Yeah, it was spot on and probably one of the more intimate spots on the ship for a nice dinner. Right. That tends to be the, the ambiance of the Crown mm-hmm. Grill. Then after that, the second night, and I'm probably going to butcher the name, but I think it's called Sir Le Mire. Sir Le Mire, there I you think go. it is. I'm not, I don't speak French either, but yeah, I think so that's, that's a right. French bistro. <laughs> Sir Le Mire. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a, a menu kind of like the Crown Grill. So it was just kind of a regular, you go in, you pick what you want off the menu and they bring it to you. And I did like this lobster seafood chowder that was served in this like puffed pastry kind of thing where they actually had to pop it and cut the bread around the, the actual chowder itself. Interesting. Mm. Uh, it wasn't really my cup of tea, but in all fairness, I'm more of a meat and potatoes guy. I did have like a puffed pastry seafood chowder uh, inside this like bread a bowl with a bread topping. It was kind of interesting. A nice cut of beef, really, really rich food there. And then I filled up on bread, which I don't normally do, but uh, I didn't do dessert in this one. But it was, a, it was a great experience, a little longer than Crown Grill, probably an hour and a half, two hours. But we also had a group of 11, I think, at our table. Now, on on the a couple of the other Royal Class ships, they offer a uh, brunch in Bistro Sur Le Mer. Did you Did you happen to notice whether that was offered on your cruise? I didn't notice it, but only because, and I, I was keeping an eye on it, but I think because we had a port day every single day, that that might have been more of a sea day thing. That would that would make sense. Yeah. That would make sense. Okay. And what other what other uh, alternative specialty restaurants did you try? Went to Harmony, which replaced Sabatini's, the Italian restaurant on the other uh, Royal Class ships, or I guess a lot of the uh, uh, Princess Cruise ships, I should say. But did the sweet and sour chicken there, also uh, spring rolls, uh, pork wonton soup, and this interesting red bean creme brulee. It tasted like a Boston baked bean. Um, It was interesting, but that was also $29. You had uh, like upcharge Items you could do if you wanted to get a, like a wok fried lobster for $12, things like that you could add on. Served family style, quick service. I think we were uh, got our main entree uh, 50 minutes in, so that was quick. Okay. And did you try any of the other uh, complimentary alternative venues on the ship? So I did. There's By the pool, there are two of them. There's Chopsticks, and then I think it's called Lobster and Burger Bar. Chopsticks was good. You had three different soups to choose from, and the chef would uh, you know doll it up for you. And there you go, really quick in and out. The chef does it right in front of you, across the way. So it's both anchored by this the fountain bar, and then you have the lobster burger area. It was 
decent. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was an off day, but like the lobster roll, I paid $15 for it. And it was super small, like half the size of a hot dog bun, where it's a lot cheaper on other lines and you get a full bun there. The chicken tacos were cold as well. So I don't know. Normally, those are just supposed to be at least warm when you get them. But it is a burger bar as well. And I didn't get a burger. So in all fairness, that could have been my own fault. But the food still should have been hot. And then I went to Alfredo's and everyone knows Princess has good pizza. Absolutely. If you don't, you do now. But that was down there on deck six. It was complimentary. And I got a pineapple and pepperoni ham pizza. And then an anapasta salad, I believe it's called. It's got like the cured meats, the balsamic tomatoes, cheeses on there. And uh, yeah, in and out in less than 30 minutes. It was super quick service and got the you know, specialty drinks there as well. I will say this. I might not have had like the best meal uh, at certain places around the ship. And that's, you know, everyone's taste buds are different. But the service and the crew members were, they were just awesome the whole, no matter where you went. Well, that's really good to hear. Yeah, Yeah, Alfredo's is definitely something not to be missed. Now, this is a little bit unique because on most um, other princess ships, you can get pizza not only in Alfredo's, but also at poolside. But this ship apparently is different and doesn't actually have the poolside pizza bar then. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? That is correct. There is no poolside pizza bar I'm trying to think where the poolside pizza bar is located on those other Royal class ships. Is it kind of, is it by the entrance of the buffet? It's normally opposite. So on one side you would have the, uh, the burger area. So on ah. some ships it's called the salty dog grill. Mm-hmm. And then opposite that on the other side of the ship in that same area would be where the pizzeria would be. That makes sense. So it's, yeah, that's, it's called chopsticks now. That's the noodle bowl place. Okay, so another slight tweak then mm-hmm. that they that they made when the ship was originally designed for the Asian market then. Okay. And one other one I didn't get to go to, but I'm, I'm kind of regretting it now because I ran out of time, was the International Cafe. But a lot of people did enjoy that space with the complimentary um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner items, really. Sandwiches, breakfast, like muffins and things like that. Uh, complimentary, again, and I think it was located on Deck 5, just outside of the guest services area, and right there around the piazza Again, all complimentary, so definitely something not to not to miss. Chris, and I just remembered, we didn't even talk about this because, uh, well, I didn't probably send it to you in the talking points, but the Ocean Medallion, that was uh, my first time using it. The technology and going back to the stateroom, it's RFID and Bluetooth, so it unlocks your stateroom door as you approach it, so no fumbling for your key card. You have to open the door yourself. It doesn't do that for you, but it does unlock it. You can also order food and drinks from anywhere on the ship, which actually some people did use. And the food seemed to take a little bit longer to get to you than the drinks did. But, you know, you're not signing anything. Um, The RFID picks you up on the server's uh, tablet. So they see your picture and, can you know, know what your face looks like on there. And also the e-muster, which was kind of like every other cruise line is doing right now, that you just watch the video in the stateroom or on your phone, and then just go to your muster station and tap your medallion on the tablet, and boom, you're all set. You could also even gamble on there if you want to. Not my thing, but, uh, you know, for those who want to. So, yeah, I I really did think the uh, ocean medallion thing, it's a plus, especially, you know, during the whole health and safety protocols with contact tracing and all of that. Yes, definitely. Those are definitely some of the advantages of ocean medallion. All right. Well, let's talk about um, entertainment on this three night cruise. So entertainment was I'm trying to think the first night was uh some kind of song and dance type show. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of production shows or sitting still for a long time. 
So I didn't catch that show past popping my head in there. The second night was a parody singer. So he would take just uh, songs and make them his own. Um, a lot of emphasis on like the buffet and, you know, just typical cruise stuff and passengers behavior. Uh, funny, quirky, whatever. And then the final night, uh, I had to actually pack, so I didn't go to the show the final night. But there were shows in there every night, and you didn't have to make a reservation or nothing like that. So people seemed to enjoy it. I didn't get to make it to the Princess Live Theater, which is like a lot of the game shows were held in there. It's almost like a TV studio set. They also held trivia and quizzes during our sailing. Mm-hmm. And then in the right, back, right. I forgot, I think it's called the Vista Lounge in the back. I walked through there a few times, or actually, was it the front? I can't remember. But there's the Vista Lounge on the ship. And I, I walked through it a couple of times, but never stayed. But that's another, you know, a smaller theater type. Uh, I guess what would you do? Would that be like for karaoke maybe or dancing? I can't really. Um, that's typically where they do bingo. Okay. Um, and if, for instance, maybe there's a production show in the in the main theater, uh, there might be an alternative entertainer in the Vista Lounge, okay. depending upon, you know, obviously the itinerary of the ship. And probably the heartbeat of the ship is on the is the piazza, which is on decks five, six, and seven, and they're all connected with a staircase. But you have live music down there. There's bands. There's tribute bands playing, violinists. Um, you name it. There's a couple different bars that surround it. There's a vintage wine bar. The interna- uh, international cafe that we were just talking about is right there. Alfredo's, where I had the pizza, is right off the atrium. It's also where you embark the ship. So, photo gallery, just different areas. Um, or can be found right there. It's the heartbeat of the ship. So that's where that's where the action is and when the ship really comes to life. Agree. Did you do any other kinds of activities or check out any of the other areas of the ship, like the the fitness center, the spa, et cetera? The fitness center did not work out in there, but I did talk to the trainer in there. And it's a typical cruise ship fitness center located on the back of deck 17. They did, uh, if you're Running or doing heavy cardio, you don't have to wear a mask in there, but they do require you to wear one if you're doing something that's not super heavy cardio. I did do the Lotus Spa, which has the Enclave Thermal Suite. That was $40 a day. I'm not a connoisseur of thermal suites by any means. I may have been in like six of them. I just got really turned on to them just before the shutdown. I do enjoy the tile loungers of the heated ones. There was a nice size mineral pool with like a shower waterfall in there. There was those aromatherapy showers, like three heat chambers, and uh, I think that was pretty much it. Uh, It wasn't actually that packed in there. I shouldn't even say packed at all. There was like six people in there. Again, we were at – it was a port day when I went in, and the ship was at 40%, as I mentioned, so that could have played into the factor there. Trying to think. Other experiences. Oh, the Hollywood Observatory. So on other Princess cruise ships, this is called the Sanctuary. It's at uh, four fee – adult retreat this actually is enclosed it has a pool without a retractable roof and then up front has like 270 degrees of views across the front of the ship so i can see why the ship was put into alaska when they moved it over here because it's a great place to view glaciers well i didn't see any i saw a bunch of sea lions on my sailing but if you're sailing majestic in alaska this is the place to be it's on the very front of the ship above the navigational bridge deck 17 forward i believe But the observation space has like chairs, tables, it has, of course, bar service up there. And what are those plants called? Uh, They kind of shape them into designs like Disney does at their um, flower festival. Topiaries. Yeah, there's that in there. 
places to sit, lounge around, you know, things like that. Just watch the world go by. If you're a work from home kind of person, I would say maybe go work from up there or on deck 16 aft at the Wakeview Bar. A lot of seating at both places. And the Hollywood Conservatory, that's that's a complimentary venue, right? There's no fee for that. Correct. There's no fee. You can use it. And it's just a, a place to, to chill out in the very front of the ship. And it's adults only. It's adults only. Yeah. So when you enter the the solarium part, that's where the adults only area begins, uh, which is where the pool is. And you, you keep walking forward through some more doors. And that's the observation area forward of that. Nice. That'll be an interesting, interesting area of the ship to uh, to check out since that's so unique compared to the other Royal class ships. Sure. All right. So this itinerary, was, this is a three-night itinerary. So you had two ports of call, San Diego and Ensenada, correct? That is correct. The first day was San Diego. And I think you might know, do you know Peter Canego? Have you heard his name before? He's been on the show oh, a couple yes. of times. Yeah. Yes. If you're not familiar with him, Peter is a maritime historian who goes over to the breaker yard. So over like in Alang, India, when these ships get ran up on the beach, he goes on the ships and salvages all this stuff that's just going to be smashed or cut up or just thrown away in dumpsters. So every room of his house, it, it, his house is a museum, like legit. Every room, including the living room and bathrooms, are set up like a cruise ship uh, room, like his dining room. It has the original tables from liners, chairs, outlets, cutlery, everything you could think of. 100% authentic. Even the wood paneling was from the ships, and he actually has them put up on the walls over his regular walls. So he lives up in Oceanside, California. Just uh, a heck of an experience there. Like that was one of the best excursions, and it was my own excursion. I took the Amtrak up to his place um, in Oceanside from San Diego, but probably one of the best days in port I've ever spent anywhere. That's amazing. And he lives in it. It's a functioning house. I mean, he's eating dinner in an ocean liner dining room every single night. That, I assume you're going to do a whole post just about that experience. Yeah, I took a ton of photos. So I'm going to eventually get around That'll to it um, <laughs> once I get a couple of minutes to myself. But yeah, it's really neat and a shameless plug here for Peter. If you want to check out what he has at his house and some of the items he actually has for sale, it's um, midshipcentury.com. I'll also be doing a tour, uh, a photo tour of his place because he gave me a two-hour tour. It was really neat. Definitely looking forward to that. All right. So that's what you did in San Diego. And then your other port was Ensenada. Ensenada was the day I actually went to the thermal suite and spent four hours in there. So I didn't really do much um, off the ship. I did walk off the ship just to see what was shaken. I was there just before the shutdown on Carnival Panorama in 2019. They did offer a couple of different excursions. There was a food and wine tour offered, a couple of different um, active activities. But since I've never been on this ship before, and it was different than the other Royal Class ships, I just wanted to spend some time on board walking it deck by deck and, of course, go to the thermal suite. Great way to get your step count in. Oh, that too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, unfortunately, a three-night cruise goes by oh so quickly. And before you know it, you've arrived at that dreaded day, disembarkation. So how was your disembarkation process? It wasn't bad. It was really fast, really seamless. I had a nine o'clock transfer to the LAX airport. And so around 8.30, I got off the ship and just dinged out with my ocean medallion for the last time and showed the, I had my bag behind me because it was just a short cruise. I had to carry on, Uh, showed the customs agent my passport, walked out. I was in the parking lot. The transfer driver was right there and it was off to the airport in 25 minutes. I was checking in. 
That sounds pretty efficient. Do you have any first-time tips to offer someone uh, who's going to be sailing Majestic Princess? Do everything in advance that you possibly can, whether it be if you want to do the spa, like the, the Lotus Spa, like have an appointment there or even go to the thermal suite. Uh, do that in advance if you can. Also, specialty restaurants, they do fill up. Um, I would say right now, not really a, a fill-up situation because the ship was sailing at 40%, but you know they're trying to ramp up. So that could be a, an issue as you kind of go further down the line. Um, yeah, just really study the ship and know your options and know what you're walking on to. Or, you know, I, I had no clue Harmony was even there. Like, shame on me. I thought it was, I was looking at the Harmony menu, and it was the Harmony menu that they were serving over in China, which is a lot different than what they're serving over here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was like, ah, I saw it beforehand. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to do it. But I actually saw it on board the ship. And I'm like, you know what? I want to check this place out. So you just do your research and uh, know where everything is. And, uh, you know, don't, don't miss those beautiful sailaways. It's a balcony is definitely the way to go. But if not, Majestic Princess has a lot of spaces outside. And of course the observation deck. Oh, we didn't talk about the Wi-Fi. That was really fast too. I was, uh, doing it like my news briefs, my video briefs every day. Uploading it like in two to three minutes per brief. Normally it takes uh, up to an hour on some ships. So that was good to see. The casino area was good and it wasn't that smoky. There was a lot of uh, big, these big white filtration machines all around there. And the medallion technology, you know, it's, it's great. Um, I think in, in this day and age with cruising and health and safety protocols that everyone's kind of concerned about, a good job with that. And, you know, this did have some pushback at first, but I think people are starting to adapt now that with the contact tracing, et cetera. And if you don't want to use it, just go to guest services and get a key card. Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely been some, you know, some learning, learning experiences with, uh, with the medallion technology and and how it integrates. Um, but I, I definitely, we've, we've experienced it now on a couple cruises, and uh, yeah, it the from the ease of entering your stateroom to obviously now what it's doing for the muster drill situation and, and with, with COVID just making all of that so much more efficient and, and seamless. Um, yeah, we look, we look forward to, uh, the technology just getting better and better. And you know, I was, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually talking to a gentleman, he was 77 years old from Ohio and he was telling me that, he, he had all the pushback in the world when it was first announced, and they were, they were making him do this technology, but now he wants to be a part of it because of the contact tracing and the e-muster and everything mm-hmm. like that. He's like, you know what? Sign me up. What I can't do on my phone, I'll do it on my stateroom TV. Yeah, if, if you don't want to do all the things interacting uh, with, with a smartphone, if you don't have one or you just don't choose to do that, yeah, you can do much of that same functionality via your stateroom TV. Or there's also the the big, the big um, LCD displays around mm-hmm. the ship that yeah. you can interact with too. All right, well, what do you think your biggest highlight of this of this cruise was? I'm going to give you two here because one wasn't on the ship itself. It was actually, uh, well, stepping outside my comfort zone and taking an Amtrak train up to Oceanside during a port day and going to Peter's house and experiencing that maritime museum he lives in. As far as the shipboard experience, the ship does break the mold from other Royal class ships. So I would say just to be able to experience Majestic and um, probably who knows if it goes back to China at one day. So at least being able to sail on it before it goes and checking out all the different changes. Totally understand that, for sure. All right, well, what uh, what are your final thoughts, then, of uh, Majestic Princess? 
I like the changes. You know, I'm not a big sun person, so I, I can appreciate the Hollywood Observatory up front instead of the sanctuary, uh, you know, the enclosed pool and all that up there. That's nice. You know, I never was a huge fan of Sabatini's anyway since they changed the menu about five years ago or so. So I really enjoy the, the Chinese place. So, yeah, if you like sailing the royal class ships of Princess, it's definitely worth giving it a try. All right. Well, thanks, Doug, for uh, giving us your insights on Majestic Princess. I, I'm looking forward myself to sailing Majestic for the first time in, uh, in December. I'll definitely uh, be interested to compare my experiences with yours. Kristen, thank you so much again for coming on and taking the time out of your day to talk to me about this sailing on Majestic Princess. I probably talked way too much anyway, but uh, it's good to break it up with uh, another voice. So thanks again. <laughs> oh, I was happy to do so. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.